and welcome to the Heart Guide Media Podcast. I think we just found our our new uh, intro theme song, because uh, every time I hear L7, I think, god damn, this band's so amazing. How are they not? I mean, they just put out a new album, they had a documentary a few, uh, was it two years ago? Yeah, and uh, pretend that we're dead, check that out. I believe it's on Amazon Prime or maybe Hulu, uh, either way. Welcome to the Heart God Media Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Pet Cemetery 2, 1992 follow-up to the original film adaptation of the Pet Cemetery book from 1989. Uh, and uh, I think the sequel, Pet Cemetery 2, from 1992, I feel like it doesn't get a lot of love. So showed a little love here today on a episode of the Heart God Media Podcast. Uh, now it, it is... Uh, it's, 7.30 a.m. exactly on this uh, September 7th, Saturday, and uh, been battling a tension headache all night, on and off, taking hot showers, wrapping myself up in a blanket as soon as it's done, and trying to get whatever sleep I could possibly get. Uh, I At least I believe they're tension headaches. I mean, that's what, uh, you know, my degree in WebMD has uh, provided enough information to myself that it is probably a tension headache starts in the neck and this actually i went and saw it chapter two speaking of sequels uh of stephen king adaptations i was uh in it chapter two and it was probably around the hour mark i could feel this this pain in my neck that usually starts uh in my neck it feels like a stiff neck uh and then it kind of works its way up the back of my head into a full-blown, like, aching headache, uh, and it sucks, uh, so I dealt with that for the last two hours of, uh, It Chapter 2, uh, and then probably about the last hour and a half, I also had to pee, so, uh, I might need to rewatch that under more com- comfortable circumstances, um, but I did like it, uh, we are going to have a podcast on that later this week, I did like it, I do, I will say this at the very least. I think the first film from 2017 that came out two years ago, I think that one was vastly superior. Um, I'll leave it at that. There's plenty to talk about. There's plenty to dive into. I'm sure there's going to be a few people talking on the podcast that you've heard before um, because I believe everyone has went out and seen it either Thursday or Friday and or are going today or tomorrow. Um, So once uh, our cohorts have all viewed this film, we will be able to discuss that. So I'll leave you with that little nugget um, for now. So Pet Cemetery 2. This is, uh, it was such an interesting film, the original Pet Cemetery film that came out three years prior, because uh, the cast was great. You know, you got Dale Midkiff, who was relatively unknown, but provided such a, such a strong uh, outing. And brought that Lewis Creed character to life that had only existed in novel form prior. And I think he did a great job, obviously. Uh, Fred Gwynn, as Judd Crandall, is revered as maybe one of the best um, characters f- from you know Stephen King's story adapted to film. Uh, probably people revere him uh, in the movie more so than any other character, I believe. And, you know, Miko Hughes, super young, obviously went on to be a huge child actor. He was in so much. He was in Full House and Kindergarten Cop 
and uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Um, I mean, the kid, he kid really was like, uh, the kid to have in your, in your TV show, in your, in your movie. He was the guy, the little guy to have in your films at that point in the, in the early to mid nineties. But it's, uh, I think the fanfare, the, the film did well. It did well enough for them to want to do a sequel. The studio, Paramount, I think really liked what Mary Lambert did. So they wanted her back at the helm. And I know Mary Lambert wanted to continue the story from the uh, from the events of the last one. Ellie Creed being the lone survivor of the family. She wanted to run with that. But for whatever reason, Paramount, the studio, had no interest in having her as the focal point and you got to think this is we're going back to the early 90s so I think that there was a little probably hesitation about having a young female lead like that I mean it's crazy to say now because we've seen so many movies with with young female leads um and it's it's a different time now obviously so we didn't unfortunately we didn't get to see a continuation with Ellie Creed which would have been very interesting to see where her headspace would be at after her entire, her entire family was uh, now um, dead, you know, and, and to think what the the trauma that goes through your head when you find out, or did she find out, was it all a cover-up? We'll never know, you know, that her mother and her father are dead, her brothers, obviously, she knew her brother was dead, but when you get into the psychological... Uh, mindset that you know your father buried your your brother in this uh micmac burial ground and brought him back to life he then killed your mother then your father killed your brother for a second time to take him out because he is now uh the undead or or possessed by the micmac spirits from the from the pet cemetery or technically beyond the pet cemetery and uh, and then your father then buries your dead mother there in which she comes back to life and kills him. So there is a, a myriad uh, of shit that's going to go on in your head when you hear all that news. It's uh, it's more than a packed pizza to uh, to eat there. So unfortunately, we didn't get to see any of that. We didn't get to see where that character, the character of Ellie Creed goes from there. But what we did get was something I think is very interesting. And it's overlooked now because it was one of those early... It was kind of just written off and labeled as one of those early 90s, uh, you know, horror movies. And it did have, you know, Eddie Furlong starring in it, who was hot off the heels of Terminator 2. Obviously, he was making a name for himself. And uh, it really had an interesting cast. Um, Jared Rushton who played uh, Clyde Parker. I'm guessing that's a, it's a little uh, homage to Clive Barker, um, but Clyde Parker, yes. Jared Rushton, who was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was in uh, Big as uh, Tom Hanks' best friend. Uh, so th- that was like, a, you know, a solid choice. And he played an amazing bully. It can't be understated what a great bully he played. And I also want to say that last Saturday, I actually recorded this before um, my busy Saturday last Saturday. I actually recorded this podcast, and it was 56 minutes long, and I ended up losing the audio when I was trying to upload it. 
um, because I was recording uh, right to the Anchor app. Uh, And I'm doing again, so hopefully this one isn't, uh, this one, this audio does not get compromised and or lost and or accidentally deleted when I'm trying to edit it. Uh, But I thought that was a funny little tidbit. But anyway, yeah, great cast. Clancy Brown, obviously. I think a lot of people revere Pet Cemetery too, mainly for Clancy Blunt. Clancy, Clancy, Clancy Brown, sorry, running a little, very little to no sleep, still battling this headache a bit, and uh, I got no coffee, because if you drink caffeine, it may, uh, it may uh, enhance this, uh, this headache, so uh, only, only H2O for me, as Bobby Boucher would say, but yeah, I think people gravitate to Clancy Brown's character of Gus Gilbert, the sheriff of Ludlow, it's a strong, like, it just shows his versatility, like, beyond what I think they even anticipated for whatever actor was to play Gus Gilbert. But I know they hit, they knew that they had a home run, at least with that character. Um, and, you know, it's a follow-up. It's a sequel to a, a relatively successful horror film from the 80s. Even though it was 89, it was still the 80s. So now we're in the early 90s. Fashion's different. The film industry is rapidly changing. The music industry is changing, um, which, you know, there's a lot of great songs in this. The score is good. I've always thought the score was pretty good. And Mark Governor did the score. And there's a company called La La Land Records that is putting out a limited edition CD version of the score. And it also has the song Fading Away by Jan King, which we hear when uh, Zowie shot and killed um, a great song, and I don't think it was ever available anywhere uh, in a physical format. I, and it says that the at the end of the film, obviously the uh, the soundtrack is available on CD cassette. But I never saw a CD or cassette, and I search eBay constantly. I've never seen it out and about. And I own a lot of uh, motion picture soundtracks, especially from the early to mid '90s. I recently picked up. Uh, the Scream one, which I, I didn't own, and I was just like, oh my god, there's so many great bangers on this from the mid-90s, which is shocking for me to say, because I I have a disdain for the 90s, but I think that's more so for the second half of the 90s, even though Scream came out in 96. You know, I just think of, like, old Navy tech vests and, like, weird green sweaters with, like, a navy blue stripe across it and, like, hair gel, and it just, it gives me the fucking creeps is what it does. It's just such a strange fucking time. And, uh, but I like thinking back to the early nineties where it was still post eighties. People were still trying to figure out what new fashions were. There was a little bit of the grunge fashion influence influence, which I didn't mind, but, uh, it quickly just went downhill quick for the nineties. But, uh, there is a lot of solid content, but there is a lot of shitty content, um, for film, for music. Um, and people could say that about the eighties, but I just revere the eighties so much. That's a story for another day. But anyway, this is such a uh, it was it's such a cool soundtrack because you hear, of course, L Seven shit list is on there. Uh, Drama Rama, who was an eighties band, uh, you know, puts out a record called Vinyl in I believe ninety one or ninety two, right around the crux of the release of this film. They have that I got spies in that. Um, unfortunately, the uh, the CD coming out on La La Land Records only has I think it, for his actual songs it has the Jan King song fading away. And there's a couple different versions of that, like an instrumental version, and then I think maybe an extended version as well as the original version. But And then it has the rest of the score, which I think is really cool. And it comes, uh, limited edition, signed to a 1,000 copies. 
um, by, by Mark Govanor. Uh, and that's, that's so sick. And I think it was only 20, 20 bucks. It was like 25 or 26 bucks with shipping. Um, so I'm patiently awaiting that as, uh, earlier. Now we are probably a little week and a half celebrating the 27th anniversary of this film. It came out in, uh, I believe August 29th or 28th of, um, of 1992 and uh so we're celebrating that and that came out uh when that came out um so it's more than fitting to do this podcast now um but back to uh back to the actual film you know a great cast uh you know you have anthony edwards of revenge of the nerds fame top gun uh, so he's a, a familiar face for people. Later went on, I believe he went on to be on ER after this. Uh, it might have even been during it, but I can't really remember. But he has such a dad look, and he was relatively young being in his uh, early 30s. Uh, he had such a dad look going with, the, you know, he was balding, and he had, like, the gruff beard. Like, well, it wasn't a gruff beard. It was actually, like, a, a pretty prim and proper, like, local dentist beard for sure and had the his nice little prim and proper glasses uh <laughs> but he's a uh, he's great in this film too i think it's probably his best role he he shows some versatility in this as well but something mary lambert actually said she said you know after you know they didn't want to run with the ellie creed angle it was, you know, it was clear that they wanted to go with the the female lead. So she wanted to keep it as, you know, adolescent, preteen or teen, early teen, 13, 14 years old. These kids are either in like eighth grade, possibly freshmen's um, and getting to the mindset of what a boy would do. Because why? Boys are stupid. Teenage boys do stupid things. And that is like so interestingly profound that Mary Lambert understands that because I understand that understand that because I was a teenage boy I know teenage boys do fucking stupid shit if I had if I had even a quarter of the list of stupid shit I did when I was a teenage boy uh you know we this podcast would probably be condemned uh I mean I didn't do anything fucking like I let's say this the laws I broke were like very minimal like throwing like an apple into like an abandoned broken window and and things like that. And other things we're not going to discuss, but nothing like no crimes against humanity, don't worry. There's there's no black metal shit going on. Don't I wasn't burning a fucking church or anything. But it was it was stupid stuff. Stupid stuff that teenage boys do. You know, and it, if a teenage boy knew about the power of the pet cemetery after someone or something he loved, uh a pet a person died, you know, something that, uh, and, uh, Jason McGuire who plays, uh, before I get to my point, uh, Jason McGuire who plays, uh, Drew Gilbert, uh, who ends up being, uh, Jeff Matthews, which is that, uh, Eddie Furlong's character plays his, uh, you know, soon to be, uh, well acquainted and best friend and only friend really in the small town of Ludlow. But he, uh, 
and Jason McGuire is great, and he didn't have, he, I think he only did three films, he did this one, he did like a TV movie, I think, and then he was a bully in Forrest Gump when Forrest was a kid, and other than that, he didn't really act, and I know he was local, he was from maybe the Atlanta area, I know he's from Georgia, because his film was filmed in Georgia, and I know because Georgia is filming, but the setting for, um, for this is very reminiscent of what you would think the Northeast would be, what you think Maine would be. Uh, and they were going to film in Maine, but I think film, uh, you know, principal photography started from January, went from January to March. So the last thing you wanted to deal with was one of those winter, the, one of those winters in Maine. Uh, so they opted for Georgia instead, obviously shooting conditions are going to be vastly, uh, superior. So, and I think it was a great look, great setting, and it felt like Ludlow. It felt dreary, you know. Did the sun ever shine in Ludlow ever again after the events of, you know, that happened with the Creed family? And there's plenty of homage to the Creed family in this, but um, back to uh, what young boys do, stupid things. And they, uh, you know, there's a line in the film, you know, if there was just one chance in a million that it would work, wouldn't you just want to try and that is the stupid, young, teenage boy mindset. What do young boys do? They do stupid things. And as soon as, you know, they were aware of this folklore, of course, why wouldn't you just want to try? I mean, they'd probably never speak about it ever again if it didn't work because it's embarrassing. But the fact that there is all that folklore and all those stories and these this legend of, you know, the Pet cemetery or beyond Pet Cemetery, you know, it, it has them enticed, they're introduced to the power, as Judd would, uh, as Judd would say, and you see the unraveling of, you know, the mistakes of dumb teenage boys, you know, you have uh, Gus Gilbert, who is a local sheriff, who is a just a, a piece of a piece of crap? He ends up revealing himself as just a total piece of crap. Uh, you know, making making pot shots at Chase, Jeff's father, after his mother, who's a famous actress, dies on set. Jeff witnesses that. Obviously, a lot of trauma going on with him. He's got dealing with the loss of his mother, and I think the loss uh, that young people in general, not just boys, deal with, um, they do erratic things you know, it's hard for you to process what's going on when you deal with these tragedies. So Jeff Matthews witnesses, you know, his mother dying on set, getting electrocuted to death. And, you know, Drew ends up, you know, Gus Gilbert, his stepdad, who's just a piece of crap, you know, making jokes about Jeff's mother. Not not jokes, really, but, you know, there's a scene where they're in bringing the dog, Zowie, which is now the uh, the new the the new church, so to speak, the uh, the pet the the pet that falls victim to uh, unfortunately dying and then getting buried in the pet cemetery. But uh, just to sum up uh, the character of Gus Gilbert, you know they're in treating Zowie uh, the dog because because the rabbits that this guy has and why the fuck does he have all these rabbits? He's got like a big. A big like crate, I don't even know what it is, some kind of like weird stand-up cage filled with rabbits. And he's like watching them, he's watching them fuck and like just smiling. He's just a weird motherfucker. He's like caressing one. Very strange. 
and he uh the dog ends up sticking his nose in there and and they're getting it treated by uh chase as he's barely you know opened this uh veterinarian clinic which is you know what he does he's a veterinarian and his ex-wife is uh was a uh, you know movie star vastly different uh job job uh job paths career paths there uh but he you know he makes a this kid's mother's freshly dead and he goes to uh drew gilbert or gus gilbert goes to eddie furlong's character jeff matthews goes you know your mother and i used to be sweethearts prom homecoming whole nine yards fucked up on like so many different levels but that just you know that'll sum up uh gus gilbert for you a really fucked up individual obviously just he was like one of those fucking kids in high school that thought he was the man you could definitely tell anyway you know he ends up shooting you know because this dog won't leave the his rabbits alone his weird fetish obsession with rabbits and he ends up shooting zowie he ends up shooting the dog and you know this this kid drew gilbert just feel this is like his best friend other than you know jeff who he wants to be his best friend but jeff was just so despondent from the death of his mother and you know drew's hanging out with initially with these bullies it seems unreluctant and it's it shows his loss so now jeff has lost his mother watched his mother die in front of him accidental electrocution and now Drew has watched his dog be shot by the person he hates most, I'm sure, his stepfather. And, uh, you know, that that's the trauma, you know, that creates the small seed planted. And we can't deal with this loss. If there was one chance in a million that it would work, if we buried our loved ones in the pet cemetery, why wouldn't you try and it's all based on that, you know, just dealing with the loss and the stupid things people do during that grief. It's something that Lewis Creed did, you know, he couldn't, he, it's so hard to process. And, and once you hear those inklings and Lewis obviously had, you know, Judd told him firsthand, he's like, listen, we're going to bury your cat up there. Ellie Creed isn't ready for her favorite pet to die. And brings him, and brings, they bring church, they bury him in the Micmac grounds, and he comes back. So Lewis knows it works. And then, of course, his son dies through the power, being introduced to it. And, and you know, and, and so the chaos and, and the insanity ensues. So beyond that, you know, same thing, same story, different characters. Pet Cemetery too. you know, they, they already have the death. This is interesting because Jeff Matthews' mother dying in front of him. So that trauma already happens to him. Happens to him first. So then the dog dies. Zowie gets shot. They want to, you know, I got to bury him. Of course. Maybe there's a better way. Uh, you know, they bring him to the pet, into the pet cemetery. Well, where do we want to bury him? Uh, you know, let's go, you know, far beyond or whatever. They end up, you know, making the, the trek that Judd and Lewis made. They bury Zowie. Zowie comes back. And, you know, now they're freaked out. And what do dumb boys do once they do something dumb? I mean, they see that it works, so they feel like it isn't so dumb. 
And then, you know, Gus Gilbert dies and they bury Gus in there. And it's just, a, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the full film because that obviously anybody listening to this has seen it. But if you can rewatch it, please rewatch it and try to put yourself in the position of dealing with the loss, watching your mother die in front of you, watching the dog who you feel like you have no one else but your dog is your best friend. Obviously, being a, an overweight teenager, uh, he feels like he has no other friends, at least in this school, because the people he has aligned himself with with are, you know, uh, Clyde Barker, who is uh, this way fat boy, you know, like fucking taking pot shots at him and just uh, they aren't real friends. Just we'll leave it at that. So, but it it really it gets written off. It's kind of like just like a half-assed, shitty early '90s horror movie. When and especially being a sequel, people automatically think sequels aren't aren't going to live up to the original. And and most of the time, fair enough, they don't. Except another Eddie Furlong movie, Terminator Two. Uh, I think most agree. Uh, uh, over compensates for itself uh or for the you know a film and ends up you know it 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 supersedes expectations and is widely regarded as a better as a better film than the original terminator that taking nothing away from the original uh terminator the terminator 1984 is a classic 80s sci-fi action film that is so fucking awesome it can't if that was the only film that was ever made in the terminator franchise it would be as revered as anything um uh unfortunately though we did get uh terminator 2 we did get some subpar and at times uh not great at all sequels um but terminator 2 is just widely regarded as a better film um a lot of people debate that um but a lot of people do feel that it is a better film i do feel like it's a better film uh a lot more storytelling and a lot less action to a certain amount but i still think it's one of the best action films ever made which is funny because it's heavy dialogue and heavy story um and that's a credit to james cameron anyway back on to the the eddie furlong movie we're talking about right now is pet cemetery 2 so it's kind of written off it's a movie that just wasn't as good uh you know and, and fair enough maybe it wasn't uh and I do favor, if I had to pick between the two, it's very hard for me, um, more so for a nostalgia factor, because I remember loving and loving both these movies so much. And I feel like for me, I can't have one without the other. Like, I couldn't imagine not ever seeing Pet Cemetery 2. Like, it was such a, a focal point of my upbringing. I loved the film. I related to the to the characters, um, the the two boys, you know. Uh, Jeff Matthews and Drew Gilbert, they were just relatable. It, and I was younger than them when I saw the film than the actors were when they were playing it. You know, I'm, you know, you're talking. Film came out in '92, so I probably saw it around '94, '95, maybe, maybe even before that. But it, because I was constantly watching horror films as a kid, and, and that's debatable. You know, like, oh, how, at what age do you let your kids start watching horror films? And a lot of kids grew up with like a lot of Disney movies and I really didn't, I didn't watch a lot of Disney movies. You know, I saw the big ones. I saw, you know, Aladdin and, uh, uh, the little mermaid, uh, and things like that. I remember watching vividly, but I more so remember the first time I saw Lost Boys, the first time I saw Pet Cemetery, the first time I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first time I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, 
you know, all these films, especially from the early 90s, um, you know, and my parents, uh, thankfully, had HBO, Cinemax, Showtime. They had the whole kit and caboodle. They had the most exclusive package that, uh, you know, whoever their cable provider was at the time, before Time Warner, I'm not even sure who it was before Time Warner, uh, but we had the whole, the whole, the whole gamut of these uh, programs. So, of course, once it got released on video, where did it go? It, it went to HBO, it went to Cinemax, it went to Showtime. So, uh, I am more, it's it's funny because it, it could be so easily overlooked, but I'm so appreciative for my parents for having that because they were huge movie heads. You know, Friday and Saturday nights were, you know, my parents didn't go out and drink. You know, they didn't, they didn't go and they were, they were relatively, I mean, they, they had, you know, we had summertime, we had barbecues and cookouts and, and this, yeah. So a lot of people call them barbecues. If you live in the Northeast, uh, or at least, uh, you know, in upstate New York, central New York, um, they're called cookouts. You always call them a cookout, no matter what. It's never a barbecue. It's never a picnic. It's always a cookout. Uh, so, uh, you know, they they had friends and they did social things. But a lot of their time on the weekends, especially when it fucking snows from, you know, it snows from November to March, sometimes April. So you're kind of, if you're not, snow, if my father wasn't out snowmobiling, you know, we were watching movies on a Saturday night. You get a pizza, you get, they get pizza in the wings and, and we watch, you know. We go to the video store, and that's the thing. We grew up in a time where VHS rentals was huge, were huge. You know, we had a local store called Sight and Sound. I believe I've talked about it on this. And, uh, you know, that's what you did. You rented movies and you got a pizza. And luckily in Canastota, where I grew up, in the outskirts of it, you drive into town. Uh, Dominic's, the pizza place is there, right across the street. Sight and Sound video. Boom, boom. And then later, uh, Video King. It turned to in the mid nineties, I believe ninety five, ninety six, I think is when it. Video King came into our little town, took over, put Sight and Sound right out of business. I, I'm not sure if that's what, exactly what happened, but I know Sight and Sound was no more, and Video King came in, which is a local chain video store, which I did love. A lot of shitty employees, a lot of late charges for N sixty four games and whatnot, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but you know, it, it was such a different time. Uh, for movies, especially horror movies, but, you know, someone like me, who's, you know, 93, 94, I'm five, six years old, and that's when, you know, how I learned to read was when my parents would, when you'd record a VHS tape, you know, you would record, excuse me, Lost Boys off HBO or Cinemax, you came, you got these blank VHS tapes, you put it in the VCR, you hit record when it came on pop it out you get these little white stripes that you can stick or strips that you can stick on the front and the face of the vhs and on the side where you could write the title or whatever's on it you know or if you had a vhs uh recorder like a handheld recorder thing you could film you know uh morty's uh bat mitzvah 1991 but uh in our case we didn't have that we had a vcr we'd record you know the lost boys write the lost boys and my parents always told me that's how they, they didn't uh, directly teach me how to read through that, but that's how I learned to read. You know, I'd hear The Lost Boys, and I'd go and I'd look and I'd find it that way. You know, at young, at young age, you know, two, three years old, that's how they taught me how to start reading. So, 
you know, and I remember, and I can remember the labels, just what was on the labels too. Like, okay, that one, yes, that has Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Not the Living Dead 1990. Those two were recorded in my house on the same VHS tape. And right after, it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off and then Night of the Living Dead 1990. So right after Night of the Living Dead 1990, there was like a quarter episode of The Dinosaurs Show recorded on that as well. I'll never forget that because it cut off uh, part of the credits of Night of the Living Dead 1990 when I'd try to listen to the outro song, the end credits song, it would cut into dinosaurs. Anyway, and, and that's like, you know, it's such a special time where I grew up in those early 90s. So seeing Pet Cemetery 2 at that young age, watching it off television, I believe, and I have a really good memory. Um, I don't know where it's really derived from. Um, I can only accredit it to never doing uh, never doing drugs and never drinking. I, I mean, that's the only thing I can uh, credit it to. Uh, other than that, I have no idea where it comes from, but I have a very solid memory for certain things. Um, I remember once I was questioning on the release date of a Blink-182 live album. Told him what it was. Didn't believe me. Look it up. How the fuck did you notice that? How did you know that? That was from fucking... That was, you know, at the time it was probably 10, 12 years prior. My memory is just pretty good. Especially with dates. More so with dates and media. When albums came out, when movies came out. When I first saw it. What was written on the VHS. Uh, or, or what have you. But I remember Pet Cemetery 2... There was a Tales from the Crypt episode, uh, Ghostbusters. I remember what Tales from the Crypt episode it was. It was two for the show with uh, David Palmer, uh, or Pamer, excuse me, and Tracy Lords was in that, which is funny because Tracy Lords does a song on Pet Cemetery too. Fun, fun fact. And um, in Ghostbusters 2 and Pet Cemetery 2, and that's what was on there. And I remember that, and I remember watching it incessantly as a kid so I hold it near and dear to me in those early 90s and it was just in my in my parents house I've said this before it just felt like post 80s it just felt like uh it was still the 80s you know they still had like the weird carpeting and the odd colors and just felt like the 80s so and I was born in 88 um and I just revere the 80s so much so a, a good part of me just feels like an 80s like an 80s baby. I obviously didn't catch much and I wasn't cognizant of much by the time, you know, January, but uh, you know, January 1st of 1990 came. I don't remember the 80s or anything like that, but my household was so reminiscent of the 80s and my parents really never got out of the 80s until like the late 90s. I mean, honestly, they didn't even own a DVD player until after the year 2000. And DVDs had been out for a few years at that point. Granted, they were still making VHS tapes. But my parents were really just behind on the times. Just they just were like I didn't I didn't have my own computer until I was eighteen years old. Eighteen years old that's two thousand six. I didn't have a computer until two thousand six. I knew people that had them in the late nineties. You know they had Windows fucking ninety eight and or Windows ninety five and Windows ninety eight and and I remember going to friends' houses and they had internet. I was like, what the fuck is the internet? You know and and you know I didn't you know if I wanted to use the internet if. Uh, uh, one of my uh, best friends, uh, Sean Henderson, he remembers, you know, 2004, 2005, I was getting on the internet over at his house. I had a, I had a MySpace that I had to check when I went over to my buddy Sean's house. I didn't have the internet, not until 2006. I didn't have my own computer. Um, 
So my parents were just always behind on the time. So I think that provided me with a, a little bit more of a little better taste of what it was like in the 80s than most kids would have. And with that came, I think, appreciation of all these films because they had the exclusive HBO, Cinemax, Showtime packages and later stars. But um, that wasn't until the late 90s. I remember when digital cable came because we used to have the little square remote, little tiny square remote and the cable box. And that was, you know, there was no, you couldn't hit like 87 to get to channel 87 or anything like that. You literally had to like go up. You could hit it, but they, those buttons just didn't work and you could just, once digital cable came, I think it was 98. I'll never forget when I came home and there's a digital cable box and we had all these things, had all this stuff you could search. You could record stuff like ahead of time, set reminders, things like that. I was blown away. I was obsessed with our digital cable when we first got it from Time Warner. And uh, and easy access to pay-per-view, two clicks. You didn't have to call anybody to order anything. You didn't have to call anybody to order wrestling pay-per-views. Two clicks. Purchase. Okay. Boom. $50 charge on the Time Warner bill, and you get yelled at. You ain't got to worry about getting yelled at for like three and a half weeks, so you're good. Worry about it then. And uh, But yeah, like watching this movie as a younger younger lad related to it, you know, I wanted to, thought Eddie Furlong was the fucking coolest, I had all kinds of Terminator 2 shit, I thought Eddie Furlong was the man, so obviously I just loved it, and uh, a simpler time, for sure, um, but I revere this movie, I think it's a great, it's great storytelling, it expands upon the lore, obviously the Creed family's mentioned, um, they, the kids drive by, on their bikes through the Creed front yard, and you see, to get to the Pet cemetery, you see the Creed on the mailbox. Um, it's just, it holds a special place in my heart. So if you do check it out, watch it with an open mind, um, and just think about, stay connected to the story. Don't stay off your phone. Don't, don't think about who's texting you, who's liking your Instagram picture, and really focus on this film, and try to see it in like a different light, because I think it really is a great film, but it's vastly overlooked. Um, and just focus on the grief. And I think that if you focus on that, you'll be able to kind of understand, you know, the film that they were trying to make. It was a continuation of that grief that you have when you lose a, a pet or a family member and you have the opportunity to bring them back to life. Uh, I know I got, I went all over the place here. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to talk about. Um, and like I said, I hope that they can release the actual soundtrack to this with the bands that were on it because there was a lot of cool stuff on it. But one of the um, one of the cool things is that La La Land Records is putting out that uh, original score by uh, Mark Governor, and it's signed. And like I said, I think there's the the Tracy Lord song, I believe, is on it, and the Jan King song, but, like, the Dramarama, I Got Spies song, you could find that, like, if if anybody needs any assistance finding this stuff, that record that that's on is called Vinyl. I'm sure it's on Spotify, I know it's on Apple Music, um, and there was this band, I mean, L7, uh, that was on Bricks or Heavy album, that's available wherever you stream your music and stuff. If you have CDs, you can go to eBay and get Bricks Are Heavy by L7 that has shit list on it. Um, and the record, same thing with uh, the the record called Vinyl by Dramarama that I got spy songs on that. So, 
sorry. I was going to stop recording because I was going to search for this so I can play it as our outro song. But there was this band called Lullabox. And they were like a shoegaze band. Um, But the, I was just uh, immediately obsessed with this song when I heard it. And it, oh, how could I, how could I? forget i mean i was just so amped to talk about it um being a huge ramones fan obviously i i think you know it was just kind of everyone knew everyone knew that this uh song was in there and by everyone i think everyone i've ever talked about pet cemetery 2 with so i almost overlooked it but uh poison heart one of my favorite ramones songs um and you know that's another thing i would always love to watch the end credits because that's where i discovered the ramones i discovered the ramones watching pet cemetery and hearing the ramones on the end of it you know when i was young 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 before the ramones even broke up i'm gonna guess 93 94 i remember being that young loving pet cemetery and and right around that time you know finding pet cemetery too and i was just like oh shit there's the ramones again this is awesome and for a long time those two songs and we want the airwaves which was on the end credits of airheads in 1994 so i saw that probably 95 um those three songs were the beginning of my Ramones fandom. And I'm like, obviously, if you pay attention, if you follow my personal Instagram page, if you follow Hargat Media page and you've listened to our episodes that Lewis Smith, my friend, and I have done on the Ramones, you know that I'm a huge, huge, huge Ramones fan. They're my favorite band. Um, I'm constantly posting things about them. So, uh, you know, that's where my love for the Ramones started, too, was through these two movies, Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery 2. But anyway, there was this band, they were like a shoegaze band. I think they were from the UK or Australia, New Zealand, something like that. They only put out uh, an EP and a record. And it's a shame, they're called Lullabox. And it's a shame because they are really a great band. And it was almost like shoegaze meets like, and it was 92 when this record came out. So I don't know what it was. It was like that weird dance, like druggy madonna erotica type sound and uh yeah it it, it's just a it's a phenomenal record it's a self-titled record by the band lullabox and i believe before that they only had a uh an ep out um and i actually found a piece of music uh memorabilia from their catalog that i will post shortly uh once i receive it i found it in ebay treasure and, uh, but yeah, so we're going to go out here with Lullabox, the song Ride On, but I want to thank you for listening. If you want to check us out on, uh, where are we? We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, wherever you listen, uh, and from our host site, Anchor, um, you can download, listen, stream, tell your friends, uh, we're on all those platforms, um, write a review if you can uh let us know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong do you like us do you not like us i would accept hate mail just as much as i accept uh, love mail so uh can't thank you enough for continuing you know supporting this podcast for what is now two years i'm not going to do a two-year anniversary there will be a little bit of a celebration uh you know as far as like an episode picking um but we're not going to, you know, celebrate like we did last year uh, with a double header. Fred Decker, have Fred Decker, I almost said Fred Double Decker. That's good. Fred Double Decker feature with uh, the Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. But uh, regardless, 
yes, this song is by a band called Lullabox, and I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you find us on Instagram at Hard Media, and you find us on Twitter at Hard Media, and uh, let us know what you think, uh, tell your friends, and uh, yeah, uh, long live uh, Pet Cemetery 2.